0: just saying like barring having a doctor in the house who would you rather be married to than an org designer it's pretty great I think for Ed it's pretty great to be married to me
1: we might Um, need to have them on the show to talk about the other side of that we'll see
0: should we or should we just listen (laughs) to my narrative about
1: it Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my mouthful co-host, Rodney (laughs) Hey, everybody. (laughs) On today's episode, we're going to talk about personal workflow, how to get shit done, or how I learned to stop trying to do it all. But did I? Did I learn that? We'll find out. Before we get into that, let's have a little bit of our workflow here on the show. And it always starts with a check-in.
0: This is like a workflow thing.
1: Right, and I've I never thought about a check-in
0: like that before, but it kind of is. Yeah. Even like we'll get into Sansama, I'm sure, today, but even I feel like Sansama does a check-in that's like, good morning. Good that's morning. Right. What are we doing today? Okay. <laughs> so we'll do a check-in question today, like always, to get present, to get rolling, to get connected, to learn more about each other. Our question for today is, what aspect of personal productivity are you particularly good or bad at that you think differs from how most people roll?
1: Okay. Well, I, I'll i just go with the critical one because it, it's easier That's for me as a, as a human in American society. I think, here's what I think other people are better at than me that I'm jealous of, that they might be like, huh, not really is if the calendar is like, oh, it's two o'clock and it's time now because you pre-planned this to write, mm. I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. I'm I feel like I'm very, very much a, like a, a victim of the muses and my own spirit of what I want to do. And if it's like and and seriously last night at like eleven forty, it was time to take the dog out. And I just caught my computer out of the corner of my eye and just rolled in here and I was like, I'm just gonna work on these two things. And I worked on two things for like 30 minutes and got them done and felt great about it. Like it was super focused, super easy, but it was fundamentally unplanned. And then during that same day, it would be like, it's three o'clock. It's time to talk about this. And I'm just like, oh, Mm. I don't want to. And I feel like other people somehow are better at having that discipline of just like, it's time to do X and I do X and then it's time to do Y and I do Y. So if you're out there and you are like that, I'm jealous of you. And if you're like, what? That's not real. Then I feel less alone. That's funny. Yeah. What about you?
0: I am better than most people at putting a thing on my list and then seeing it later and being like I'm not going to do that and <laughs> then just crossing it off. And <laughs> just like, like c- clearing out the task debt. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely like like, sometimes I'll write something down on paper or, like, send mm-hmm. myself a message or something for, for whatever reason. And I'll go to put it into the queue. And I'm like, I'm not going to fucking do that. I'm like, it just, I'm that just like, so no. so funny. And I, I do feel like, like, I'm sh- hopefully today we'll talk a little bit about backlog grooming. I, I am, like, I am the most ruthless with backlog. I'm just like, <laughs> those were ideas <laughs> that I was wedded to. Kill I hate them all now. Clear it out. And I have no heartburn about that.
1: That is so funny. I have I have an inverted trait from that, which is something that happens to me a ton is I will write down a task, Uh proceed to ignore it for Uh days or weeks or whatever it is. Sure. Do it on a whim, and then come back to the task list later and be like, Oh yeah, I did that. Yeah. And I'll cross out like five things or six things or seven things that like I did in the last week that I had planned to do, but did Uh not happen intentionally. They happened with organically. Yeah.
0: I feel like what we're what we're learning in this check-in round is that you have a more organic and intuitive <laughs> approach. To wor- you're very generous workflow. to call
1: it intuitive. I really like that and I mean
0: uh-huh, yeah. I mean guided by the muses and a mm-hmm. strong internal voice.
1: It feels like yeah, like which Twitter would be very down with my intuitive task style.
0: I love it. This witch doesn't roll like that. So yeah. well, let's talk about how we do stay organized mm-hmm. and keep the old workflow flowing. And like spoiler alert, this is not going to be antithetical to the episode that we recently did with Oliver where we you know, demystified a lot of the stuff about just like beating the shit out of yourself until you get things done. <laughs> this is going to be like, assuming we take a thoughtful and realistic and people positive approach to this. What are you into? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you got going on right now, Aaron?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I did, I did really resonate with the 4,000 weeks episode with Oliver, because I think for most of my 30s, I was definitely in an optimizer, hacky kind of mindset where it was like, how do I get the most out of the orange? Yeah. And I feel like now my, my pattern is a little bit more of like, how do I, how do I honor the commitments that I make and and do the work that I think is important in the world? And how do I do it in a way where it actually feels really sustainable and enjoyable and like a little bit more Zen. Mm-hmm. So, so I definitely agree with you. I think we're not, hopefully no one walks away from this episode being like, now I know how to do a hundred things instead of 10. What I'm, what I'm really into and have been into for the past few years that, that we'll talk about some tooling around in a moment, but is just using the calendar as your to-do list. Mm. And the reason I like that is that it does reinforce a little bit of that 4,000 weeks ethos, which is like, you only have the time that you have and you mm-hmm. can't lie to yourself and pretend that somehow you're going to do more than that. I still routinely lie to myself expertly about things, <laughs> but... But I find that like that philosophy of if, it, if it's not on the calendar, it's not going to happen. And and being more honest about using time to manage the flow has been has been surprisingly sustainable. And when I move away from it for lack of discipline, I'm always like eh, I'm sort of drawn back to it. Yeah. And and as opposed to having like a to do list that's just 5000 items long and you uh, you know somehow tell yourself the story that someday you'll finish them all it's more of like if you want to do something where does it go Mm -hmm. and how do you get it done and as you can tell from my check-in my biggest tension internally is that I really believe in that philosophy of like finding a place for it and, and having that measured approach and also when I encounter something on my calendar that I found a place for I'm like ha I'm gonna I'm gonna do something else. So <laughs> I'll show
0: you calendar. Yeah. So,
1: so, you know, so I, I hate myself a little bit, but that's like there, there's a little bit of a of a dynamic tension there. But I love that idea of don't just keep a long list because you do need to limit the work in progress. You need to limit what's what you expect of yourself and how many things you can hold in your head at once. Mm-hmm. And I worry that when we don't do that, either we're diluting ourselves or potentially we're missing opportunities to practice the art of distributed authority where you're like holding on to an item like a love letter that someone else could be energizing and doing probably better than you. And you're just like not letting it go. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and I I just say that from so much personal experience. So I think that's the thing I'm excited about. I'm trying to lean into it and I've been trying to figure out a set of rituals and and practices around it that make it more habitual instead of like moving through cycles, which is what I feel like I do right now. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What are you into?
0: Mm, I'm also into time stuff right now, but slightly in a slightly different way. So you introduced me to Sansama, which we might talk about today. I don't know. And so it's funny because, you know, it's always like three things happen at once that are teaching you the same lesson in this life, in my (laughs) experience. Did I tell – I think I told you the story about the dishwasher – I feel yes. like I told you this once. This was not that long ago. Ed was—I think Ed was away—and I am like such an asshole about emptying the dishwasher. I just—I yes. really—it's one of those household things that I just do not like doing, and I don't know why. I think it's like the feeling—I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't like the, the lady. Again, is
1: the exact same way.
0: Dishes like I—I I don't know. It's—it's it's a tactile thing. I don't yeah. like the sounds that it makes. There's a bunch about it that's just like it's. I'm not a fan. Anyway. Ed was away and <laughs> it had definitely gotten to the point where I was like hand washing dishes because I had because re- I had refused to like empty the dishwasher myself and I was like this is getting out of control <laughs> and so I one morning I we use a French press and the timer that we set for the French press is four and a half minutes and one morning I was like I'm gonna see if it actually takes longer than it mm. takes for the French press to finish to empty the dishwasher it did not. Right. It took like three and a half minutes. And in my mind, emptying the dishwasher takes like, like an hour and a half. <laughs> and in in life in the kitchen, it takes like three and a half minutes. Yeah. And and so this is a thing that I have been doing with the dumb shit that I refuse to do. Mm. Is like I timed how long it takes me to like put my makeup on. Because I hate putting makeup on, right. but I like having makeup on. It takes like four minutes, right? And what I'm finding is with these these things grow in my mind in terms of the space that they take up, and if right. I can then understand how much time they actually take up, then I can stop kicking the can on them because I know that I'll be happy with the result. So that's just like a weird. It's and so like I'm doing. I'm also doing that in Sansa. Like like I hate doing my expenses. But like, I'll put the amount of time that it's actually going to take me to do my expenses and then slot it into the calendar. Because again, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to need the whole day on Saturday. And it's like, it's really going to take like, probably like 17-ish minutes to do the whole thing, soup to nuts.
1: It's so funny. There's a horror trope about this, like in the movie It, for example, where the more afraid you are of the monster, the bigger it gets. And the more like not afraid you are, the smaller it gets. Yeah. And, and it is this thing of like, you build up in your head doing this paperwork is going to take forever and I'm going to hate it. And so you just kick the can forever. And actually it's like a two minute task. And if you just, if you just say that out loud, then it like shrinks.
0: Exactly. And (laughs) it's also like one of my big, um, life rules that I impose on other people and then refuse to follow myself is like, if the amount of time that I am spending, rationalizing, procrastinating is exceeding the amount of time the task would take, like by a multiple, that's dumb. And I should stop doing that. Like, Thinking, like, I definitely spend more than three and a half minutes thinking about why I'm not gonna unpack the dishwasher. Which is hilarious. Just have it unpacked by then. So I'm These like, demons. I'm reimagining my relationship with time and the time that tasks take in order to fit them in in a way that I can live with. <laughs> That's what I'm up to right now.
1: It's funny. I thought you were gonna say that you. Were rewarding yourself somehow for emptying the dishwasher with coffee, mm. and then when it became about the time, I was like, "Oh, that's such a more interesting angle," um, because yeah, because I experienced the same thing, and and it is it's bizarre once you make a habit of something, then you no longer it no longer has that power,
0: right. Also, to get at the psychology of that, because you're much more of a rewarder than I am because I'm Mm. so self-indulgent and I just like give myself whatever I want whenever I want it. And so rewards (laughs) don't really work for me very well. But it's like a real like um, appetitive versus avoidance thing. Like you're like, I'll empty the dishwasher so I can have this. And I'm like, I'll know how much pain emptying the dishwasher causes Mm. so that I can... Of, like I can Show minimize that. that pain. Yeah. 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 It's just a funny, you know, there's only like, there's only two ways. There's only two buttons to push.
1: That's funny. That's well, funny. for what it's worth, I am, I am the assigned dishwasher emptier at our house. I don't always do it because of travel and it's not ready in, in the night, but my job is basically like end of the night. If the light is white, I'm taking out all the dishes. There's
0: a poem in there. I'd like
1: that yeah, to rise. <laughs> I
0: mean, I feel like I'm the assigned dishwasher emptier. And yeah, I I feel like statistically Ed probably does it like ninety four percent of the time because I'm just <laughs> such a brat. I'm like, how uh, is it full again? He's like, babe, yeah. I do this every day. Like,
1: what yeah. are you talking? You'd be on paper plates for sure if you were single.
0: <laughs> oh, I've moved there at the at the lake. I use exclusively paper <laughs> when I'm there by myself. I just like eat just out of containers and, we'll and compost the paper. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Amazing. I don't I don't need dishes. I just need a trough and a dream. Okay, let's talk about how you learn this stuff. Because here's a real failing, I think,
1: Mm.
0: in education.
1: The list is long. The list is long.
0: But I have come to realize as an adult that we are really, I think, no matter what you study – in school. We are not really taught like how to learn, like how to study. Right. And we're not really taught like how to stay organized, or at least I think people our age are not. Maybe they're doing a better job with this now. And when I moved to North Carolina, I did a bunch of startup advising when we first got here. And it was, I was working with like super, super smart, like very young, recent college grads. And, like, they had no system, like, no mm. system for organizing their work or keeping track of things. And, and I realized that, like, a lot of those things I learned from just mimicking people that I worked with, basically. Right, right. So I'm wondering, like, how did you originally learn about staying organized? Or, like, how did you develop your own systems to get started?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, at first I think I just flailed around uh, like everybody. I I was, I was a procrastinator and a, the sort of person that could do a lot at the last minute. And so I think I spent most of my educational career kind of kicking the can on whatever I had to do and then doing, doing it at the last minute. And I got away with a lot. Like I was definitely the kid where it was like, can I get a B if I just pass the final and don't do anything else? And they were like, yep. And I was like, Great, I'll see you in six months. Yeah. and I would read the book the night before and pass the final. And so like that was my that was my problem coming into work. But then once it was my business, my ideas, my projects, then I wanted to be productive. And so yeah. it was like a, a totally different animal. And I think basically I just stumbled across different frameworks that over time really informed me, certainly came across David Allen's work and getting things done, which was really, the first thing that i saw about like processing what you're going to do and thinking about th- the work of preparing to work right like thinking about what's important and what's not and what goes when and where and what you're going to do and what you're not going to do that was not really a thought that had occurred to me before of just having a, a bit a bit of meta work that happens before you actually do a task and then the second thing that i encountered that really really affected me was the eisenhower matrix Mm. Which for the listeners that maybe have not seen that before, it's it basically divides the world into, uh, of course, it's a it's a matrix like like, like is in the name. Have it. Um, but it has urgent and important as the as the X and Y axis. So things that are urgent and not urgent and things that are important and not important and the idea being that urgency and importance are two different things, which was a revolutionary concept for me at the time, because sure. I was kind of like, if it's hot potato, stuff it's hot potato. we yeah. are all the same. And then it was like, no, wait a second. This this filing that I have to do is urgent, but is not important. This strategy work that I have to do is important, but not urgent. Mm-hmm. And and basically the way the matrix works is if something is important and urgent, you should do it right now. Mm-hmm. If it is important and not urgent, you should schedule it if it is not important and urgent you should delegate it which is not super nice but fair enough and if it is not important and not urgent you should delete it or get rid of it which is what you are doing when you're in your list killing the <laughs> all doing the things that like no, quadrant, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly probably <laughs> so um so that was that was a big one for me and i think i spent you know many years trying to to get good at that and i built a lot of to do list frameworks and and set up my tools and things to try to manage in that Process, mm-hmm. and then and then lastly, I guess more recently, I've started to lean in more to the calendar-based approach that we talked about, and using Sansama and kind of doing doing a version of Eisenhower, but also doing a version of like building rhythms and rituals and and patterns to my week that that map to that to that stuff. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of my very shortly described journey. Yeah, um, yeah. What about you?
0: That's interesting. I like that. Your whole story just is a description of like how much more agentic you've been for longer than me. (laughs) Because like when you when you work in a big so I my first like job job in a consulting company. I was in high school. Whoa. and then I interned at the end of high school and all through college for the Gartner Group
1: and nice. then I worked
0: at KPMG and then I worked at Deutsche Bank so like a lot I learned a lot of the stuff not because I did self-exploration or learning but because there were like project plans and there were yes. a lot of deadlines and like I, you know I had a lot of tasks that were given to me that was like this needs to be written by the meeting tomorrow or like I need this draft right. by the end of the day so that I can blah 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 so most Mostly, mostly my own workflow was driven by what other people told me had to be done. Right. And mostly I didn't do any prioritization. I just worked until it was all done. So I was pretty good at like, I remember I used to be like a really big handwritten note taker I still am in some ways but and like if I was sitting in a meeting and I was taking notes and there was like a thing for me I would like put a box next to it right and then when I got back like at the end of the day I would go through my notebook and like make a list of everything that had a box and check those boxes <laughs> off and so it all it, but like there was no parsing of what was important or you know, what should be prioritized. It was just, it just basically has to like, get, done. get it all done by the end of the day. Cause tomorrow it will just start again <laughs> Sort net, of in yeah. most of those jobs. And then I always had the kind of things where it was like, if I happened to get to the end of the list, there were always like some, like some persistent, annoying forever thing that was very like file the TPS reports that it was like, you know, put on headphones and go file shit for three hours on the on the one Wednesday a year that you get through your task list so yeah yeah, I didn't really have like a system per se I think the only other thing which I still do to this day and will probably be helpful in upcoming projects is when when you learn to play an instrument like I did you learn it with an egg timer Mm mm-hmm So like, I didn't know what the Pomodoro method was when I was seven, but I did have an egg timer and I was closed in a room with that egg timer turned on and like, there had to be music coming from that room until that timer dinged. And so I do have a little bit of that thing still where it's like, if it's something that's just a practice that's never done, I'm pretty good still at being like, I'm going to sit down and just write, I'm just going to write on this thing for 30 minutes and I'm pretty good at just doing it. Cause I have like, you know, 30 something years of experience.
1: I'm so glad that you brought up the Pomodoro method. Cause that has figured largely into my career, but I didn't think of it immediately when we were talking about workflow. Cause mm, I was just funny. like, I was really thinking about prioritization rather than like how you do stuff. And, and, and now that you've said it, I'm like, Oh my God, bright, you know, light bulb that is, that is definitely the technique that helped me manage my ADD the most, mm. where it was like, all right, 25 minutes on, five minutes off, four of those in a row, and then you take a bigger break. I do a lot of that. Back to your point about like rewards, mm-hmm. I do a lot of that when I was writing the book, when I'm doing, re- you know, work in the regular course of business. I'll do something where it's like, all right, I'm going to do this thing that I'm like not super up for right now. Yep. But at the end of that, I'm going to go take a break or go do something to like, you know, balance that in some way.
0: Yeah,
1: and and that works really, really well for me. Uh, however, I don't always build my day that way, and so I think if I had more spaciousness, I could have like in my ideal scenario, if I didn't have to conform at all to other people's schedules, I might have a nice three or four hour block every day where it's like that's the Pomodoro block. Yeah, and that's where I just like go, go, go. And when I was writing the book, that's literally what I did. I was yeah. kind of just like, don't call me before noon, and and really was religious about that. And it was like four four or five 30 minute chunks of just like up, 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 up. and that's that's cool. I really, really like that.
0: Yeah. I've started I, I we haven't even talked about this, but I've started like um I, I'm getting up really early. I've been getting up really early for like two months. I think it's because of the sun. I'm not really sure. <laughs> sun anxiety, <laughs> the
1: cratering of civilization. Similar.
0: I'm not sure. I can't sleep. Anyway, I used to just lay in bed and be super mad about it and like read. And try to go back to sleep, but now I just get up and rather than like, <laughs> like what I don't want to do is like get ready because I'm just like still mad that I'm up. Right, but right. I've started just working. Like I just work with coffee and a dog in my ch- pajamas in a giant comfortable chair from Sweet. like between seven and seven thirty until usually like ten. Yeah. Which is usually when my first meeting is. And mm-hmm. by like 9 30, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go like get my shit together and be yeah. a person. But um, I get so much done. Also, it's like it's like my I think my brain, I'm sure there's like freshness and rest and all of that stuff, but it's also like I'm still sleepy enough that my brain can't really protest yet.
1: It's yes. like when I
0: just sit down to like write a role description at two in the afternoon. My brain is like, no, I don't wanna do this. Okay. Let's do something else. At 7 15, I'm like, ah, fuck it. I was going to do
1: this. I, I so strongly agree with what you're talking about. I don't know what the neurological like <laughs> underpinnings of this are, but it's almost like when some when you're really tired and someone hands you something, and you're, just, you're like, just like okay, yeah, okay. And if, and you're right at two. You're like already have ten things in your hands, and you're like, I got a fidget spinner, and I have all these other shit, and it's yeah. like I don't have room for your shit you're handing me. Yeah. But yeah, if I if I just roll over and start writing, or roll over and start doing something. It yeah. is very easy to get, yeah. to get the train moving.
0: Yeah. It's like, you don't, you yeah. don't think too much about it. You just kind of like dig in.
1: I have had moments in the last week, I shit you not, where it was like, should I shower or should I be productive today?
0: Be productive today. You, you know, you got like, the rest of the day to take a shower.
1: <laughs> it's like, well, sometimes I don't. And that's the funny part, but it is, it is like, literally, that's the choice I'm weighing in my head. Yeah. And then I, and then I make a call and it's like, if I shower by the time I get ready and I'm like back at the computer, I'm. I am nowhere near that headspace. Exactly.
0: That's why it's pajamas work, only.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. This is like a Ben Franklin thing. We got to get into this. Okay. Okay. So I guess from there, I kind of want to pull back and just look at our systems as a whole. So right now in this moment, what is your stack? What is your productivity stack in terms of approaches and tools that run your life?
0: Run my life. So... For team-based things, for collab, collabby things, mm-hmm. still a big fan of Kanban boards. So yep. Ed and I, in in my house, uh, we're in Trello, and we share a Trello board for things like house projects and groceries, and you know what needs to be taken to the lake house and brought home and shit like that. At the ready we use Notion. And so I'm in like a Kanban board for the growth team and one for the studio team and one for the source team. And that is where I can see what I am committed to and what others are committed to and where things are in the flow. Personally, I'm using Sansama for my own task management, which... A little bit of a pain in the butt to have Notion and Trello and Sansama. I sort of wish that all of that could live in one place, but here we are. Um, The (laughs) fact that Sansama does the calendar integration so that I can like slot tasks between meetings makes it worth it to me. And what I've started doing is just like when a project gets captured in a Kanban board, I just immediately take the task level and put it into my Sansama. And then I don't Mm. really worry as much about What's in the in progress column anymore of a Kanban board, and then of course Slack. You know, and and the nice thing about Slack integrations is that you can just so easily make a task or a project in any of those tools out of a Slack message, um, and then email. But like I I don't look at my email that much, and <laughs> I don't get that much. I mean, I get a lot of personal email, but I don't get that much work email except for clients before i start working with them right. and then once we're in then we're in like teams or slack or whatever they have whatever chat they have and then we like never email again so that's like my basic productivity stack at the moment yeah What about you
1: it's funny i what you said about using slack as a jumping off point for creating tasks is something that i wish i did but don't do you enough. don't no.
0: That's so surprising to me.
1: I know, I know. It's like, it's one of those like haven't gotten around to it things. However, inversely or conversely, I have, I have done a better job of connecting Notion and Sansama. Mm. So I use, I use Notion just the way you do with Kanban boards with teams. And I use Sansama for, for my personal capture and then slot things onto the calendar. Yeah, um, And those two talk to each other a little bit so I can flag something or pull something that's Living in Notion directly into the Sunsama setting, so that's cool. I gotta um, get better
0: about that because I have the integration set up. I just am lazy about it.
1: The yeah, there's like a th- one component to productivity, even if you're not taking it too seriously, as Oliver would you know say, <laughs> is like these these tools get pretty powerful, but you have to then like lean in and have the yeah. discipline and like do the setup and do all right. the rigmarole and like people just don't. I don't and and I'm more of a tools nerd than the average bear totally. but like if you really sit down and say like I'm going to spend a day getting my life organized across these tools they can do really cool shit yeah and you just have to you just have to make that investment and then and then live with it so i yeah so i'm very similar to you i don't have the trello thing at home but we do we, my my wife and i both use sansama and we have and we use <laughs> murmur as well for agreements which is kind of funny <laughs> a couple new ones came across the transom this week
0: really uh,
1: yeah, yeah. It's I mean, really fun. I mean. Do they yeah. get
0: socialized? Do they get they, pre-socialized? Well, or do yeah, they just get dropped get, and murmur?
1: They well, we talk about things on the fly and then eventually they, something happens. So Britt has been really good about that lately.
0: That's awesome.
1: Um, the other thing that I have that also, is. not... I hope that's
0: not, not listening to this because I yeah, don't sure. I don't want that at all.
1: <laughs> um the <laughs> We'll see. We'll see what happens.
0: See also uh, earlier dishwasher conversation. Yeah, exactly. I'm, just like, I'm imagining exactly. him just like typing right now. Let's
1: get specific. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, the other thing that I have that that I'm not proud of, but is just like a hard habit to break, is I still do a lot of post-it note-taking.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's like how my brain works. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel safe and warm. So there are some tasks hiding on my desk in notes But but mostly it's it's notes and reflections on on interactions that I sort of like ideas that I want to come back to later. So, yeah, so that does that does go on. Other than that, there's really not much. I have the same relationship with email you do. I get I do get some next actions from email, but I get a lot of help from Sarah on that. So, yeah, that's kind of the stack. And and what I would love to do to your point is like consolidate even more and and have just like a really tight feedback loop between the two or three things that. That would be cool. Yeah. Wait,
0: did I ever tell you about like Ed's post-it note addiction? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So this was a really, I feel like this is when Ed started to give a shit that he like <laughs> lives with a really good org designer. Okay. Uh, it only took, you know, it only took 10 plus years of me doing this work to, for him to be like, this is actually useful that you do <laughs> something you do. So when we were in the process of, I don't, I think it was like right after his mom Got sick, and my mother in law's like former life was like quite complicated with a lot of businesses and trusts and doctors and homes and stuff. And all (laughs) of a sudden, all of it was ads to manage. And his dad passed away not that many years ago. So, like, he had only gotten out of like the fog of that and then just got like her entire life just like dumped on him. And it was like, you know, it's like she's still doing like double entry bookkeeping and like a leather bound. Fucking legend, just like crazy, crazy <laughs> shit, and um, and and he was just like feeling quite like overwhelmed, and you know, he was like when we were going places like to Massachusetts or to the Lake, he like had this like bag of documents with him mm. to wade through and just like stacks of mail. And one day, I was finally like, babe, like let's we gotta, I gotta understand what your system is here, and and truly, Aaron, I'm not exaggerating. Like there were post-it notes, like all over his desk and then there were like three different notebooks and there were post-it notes inside of the notebooks and i was like how are you still like living and sane (laughs) right now and i showed him trello and I made him a board and we made mm. backlog and I explained to him about like work in progress and about, you know, just not like he always would do the thing of like reading an email and then taking a note and then turning it into a task. And I was like, yeah. stop doing that. Like stop, do you, cut have, you can cut man. out two steps of this process. And he is the biggest advocate evangelist on earth for like Kanban for personal organization well tagged, well organized, mm. out of the notebooks. And it was like a it was a life-changing event. It was like That's a Marie amazing. kondo style like breakthrough for him. Um and now like he'll just he'll never go back. And I'll say something, I'll be like, like this morning, I was like, I think we're out of coffee at the lake. And he was like, put it in the board. Why are you telling me this? You know? And I'm just like, oh wow. Okay. Like he's
1: use the tools. He's
0: hooked. <laughs> like he is hooked. Yeah. And and it is like a full. Part of his routine. My point in saying this is that obviously you and I collaborate with a lot of people and use a lot of these tools in collaborative ways. And also, even if you don't, but you have a life of administration and managing of stuff or things or vendors or workflows, like this still might be for you a lot of what we're talking about. Because I think in some ways, when you don't have the pre the pressure of collaborators who are like, "Why are you so disorganized?" Yeah. It's easier to fall into the sixteen notebook trap. Um, yep. But I also think it's like in in some ways more important when it's just you to to keep it tight.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you're you you still have a human brain, whether you are working with others <laughs> or working alone. Yeah, and and so the limitations of that brain and the ways that it, that it works. Are not your friend when it comes to keeping things organized and moving in the right direction. So, I yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's in some ways like starting alone and getting uh, getting good at the discipline, and then collaborating is the right order of operations.
0: Yeah, absolutely, know? to-
1: totally, totally. Yeah,
0: and I feel like this is where like limiting whip is a really big deal. And this yes. is did limiting whip originally come from agile?
1: I mean, I think limiting whip comes more from lean manufacturing, Mm. ultimately, because it really is a theory of constraints in a manufacturing setting problem that originates that. Although I think other people that study in other fields like traffic and stuff, they also have, it seems like something that has bubbled up in multiple industries in a way where whenever you're moving a bunch of stuff through a pipe, then eventually you figure out like there's fluid dynamics here and there are issues about how much can can be crammed through this pipe before it slows down. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, there are definitely uh, people, videos and books that will do a better job of this than me. No,
0: you have to but, do the best uh, job of anyone ever. Go get well, it.
1: Well, I get, I get, <laughs> I give the caveat because sometimes I feel like I do really know what I'm talking about. And this <laughs> one, I feel like a student of others. Um, but, but essentially the idea is that when you think about how to produce the maximum amount of productivity or output in a system, whether it's a you know, manufacturing facility or your own life, there is a reality that when you have too many things in progress, there are costs that come with that in terms of switching costs mentally, mm. in terms of keeping track of everything, in terms of how far you can get when you actually touch something, all these things that reduce your ability to to kind of have that maximum impact. And the metaphor that, that I like that I think our former colleague Bob Gower used a lot was like, think about a highway if there are cars every four inches, how fast is that highway going to flow? And you're like, well, obviously it's a traffic jam because everybody's going to be trying to make sure they're not hitting each other. And as a result, everything's going to slow to a halt. Mm -hmm. But if there's 40 feet between the cars, they can hustle. Like then, Then we can move. And the same idea holds for your tasks and for your projects as a team. Like. If you have twenty projects that are all technically being worked on, they're they're kind of bumping up against each other, psychically, operationally, temporally, et cetera, and you're switch tasking all the time, and it's just not good news. Versus like we're going to do one thing until it's done, and mm-hmm. then we're going to do the next thing, and everybody I I think has experienced that personally, where it's like you just pick the one thing for today that you're going to crush, and you actually crush it, and then and then you can move on. So um, so yeah, the theory of constraints is is a bigger idea, which is about looking for the bottleneck or the the point of failure that's holding back the the process from being maximally productive. So if you have like a door that won't hold more than four boxes passing through it, but you have huge rooms on either side, that will be like the constraint. The limiting work in progress is more the idea of like, just how many boxes do we push at a time along this conveyor belt? Mm-hmm. And and so what I love about that is that it, it forces an individual and a team to say, how many things can we hold at the same time as being actively worked on before we start to really pay the price of, of just coordinating and, and managing all that? And, and, the, and the honest answer is like, for most teams and people, that is a number that is so more than zero and less than 10 and mm-hmm. probably less than five. Right. <laughs> right. Like, you know, the, the, the more minor the things are, maybe the more you can have on the list, like bureaucratic tasks. But if you're talking about projects, the fewer, the better, right? So yeah. I, I think that has been the the principle.
0: Yeah, and I, someone told me this. I didn't make this up, but I it stuck hmm. with me. It's like you can do ten projects at a time for ten months and get them done, or you can do one project at a time for ten months and get ten done. And like, which do you think the higher quality is? And it's like, totally. even if the, at the end of ten months you have ten projects done, like your level of exhaustion and the quality of the delivery is probably a lot higher if you to your point like crush one at a time.
1: I love that thought exercise cuz it is those like simple thought exercises that help you see the insanity of what you're yeah. doing where it's just like of course that's not going to be as good, right? Yeah. We need to, you know, we need to do this differently and and then you can actually lean into that. And so the the phrase that people use is slack in the system, mm-hmm. not slack the messaging tool, but slack in the system, you need room for this stuff to actually happen and for the coordination to happen and, and figuring out what that maximum utilization is, is the art form. And frankly, it's the art form that I still feel like I'm playing with myself. Like how many balls can I juggle? You know me, and I'm bad at that. I take, I throw too many in the air. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that is definitely something that we can talk about, but, but still, I still need to practice.
0: Yeah. The other thing that I really like, or, you know, or, or, or setting limits on the in progress column in a Kanban board or however you're addressing this is for me, and I, you know, everyone's brains work differently around this stuff, but like if I have like an idea that I talk to someone about or that just appears to me and I don't write that shit down somewhere, mm-hmm. it will just keep popping up. Like it will just, it will, it will. T- it will demand my attention yeah. again and again until it feels documented to me. And there was a time when that would have just been written down like in a notebook and then mm-hmm. probably never revisited. And what I really like about something like a Kanban board is like having a backlog. I often have a column that's like ideas for someday. And then I have a mm-hmm. backlog of like the things that are next. The real stuff. And then I have a column that's in progress. And it it really helps for, for the way my brain works and processes information having that sort of like flow that's somewhat linear really helps me uh, differentiate between yeah. what's an idea that I just don't want to lose, but I don't want to hold in my brain anymore. And what mm-hmm. do I need to do today? And I would say there was a time in my life where those things just all were like wearing the same jacket and were were confusing to me. And I could be very totally. easily distracted by by like longer term things or loftier things or things that were going to take a completely different part of my attention to deliver and and sort of like ping pong between that and just like you know, doing my expenses or returning an email. So yeah. I think I think these these systems really help with getting things out of our minds so that they so that we can have more space in there
1: <laughs> and yeah, putting and them
0: somewhere, putting them into a container where they can just like be until we want them.
1: I mean, historically I think the Kanban board really exists expressly for what you just described, which is yeah. to visualize WIP. I mean, it's, it's to make us see what's happening in the system so that we can then confront reality. And I love your note about having a backlog and a like upcoming,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: because I feel the same pressure where there are some things that I just need to write down to feel psychically safe, yeah. but they're not actually commitments. And then there are things that are like next up on the factory floor that are going to like be pulled right into production. yeah. And that is a whole different, uh, animal altogether. So yeah, could could not agree more. From here, I guess my my question is, how if you're a listener and you and you haven't spent as much time nerding out about this stuff as we have, mm. how would you advise someone like like in Ed's case, etc. to get started? What are the first moves, second moves, third moves?
0: So first, marry an Org designer, because perfect, easy,
1: and highly we're recommended. Fun
0: to have in the house. You know, we have a lot Sometimes. of ideas about how you can optimize things, <laughs> how you can know what your principles are when you're a PSA um, making PSA for decisions. marrying work designers. I'm just saying... Like, barring having a doctor in the house, who would you rather be married to than an org designer? It's pretty great, I think, for Ed. It's pretty great to be married to me. We might um, need to have
1: them on the show to talk about the other side of that. We'll see. I,
0: should we? Or should we just listen <laughs> to my narrative about it? Um, <laughs> because, be, so so, in, in seriousness, I think that part of the move for, like, a lay person who does not nerd about this is, is actually just understanding that, like, for most... Work now, whether it is administrative work or, you know, family trust management work like Mm -hmm. ads, or whether it's like running a company, most of us, because of technology, are on some level in the business of knowledge work. Like, you know, like, like cashiers are also now knowledge workers, like you just have Mm -hmm. to know how to how to do shit and be organized. There's so there's so few truly like unskilled Jobs right. out there anymore that don't require like judgment and prioritization and understanding how to use technology and et cetera. So, so I think the first order of business is like thinking about how you organize your work is part of your job and it should be part of your job and i feel like a lot of people especially people who are like newer to the workforce or maybe feel like they are in a less skilled role are like yeah. oh that's for like that's for yeah. that's for ceos and i'm like no no it's Mm-mm. really not like the like the how of your work is part of your job so so both recognizing that and then also giving yourself permission and knowing that like that's not frivolous or it's yeah. not extracurricular and it's not a waste of time and and what you do and how you do it is important enough to justify consideration is like a really important prereq.
1: <laughs> In some ways it's the inverse of what people expect. You think that it's what the CEO should do and not you. But actually the CEO has a lot of people and systems around them making them effective. Yes. Right, and so it's it's much more likely that the the shape of that person's day and and task mix is going to be preordained correctly or roughly correctly. Mm-hmm. But for the individual, it's like nobody's thinking about you and how to get the most out of out of your day, et cetera. So I totally agree about that. Yeah, and and to that end, I think starting with based on your own experience, I mean, it's it goes back to how we do org design, but you know, what are some of the tensions you're experiencing in your in your life right now as it relates to that yeah. task management, productivity, et cetera? Like, what are you, is your problem about focus or is it about what's important? Or is it about knowing who to, you know, delegate something to, or is it about not knowing how to do what you're doing? I think those those signals probably tell you a lot about which techniques and tools and, and methods to start with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, a great starting point and from there from the tension like what's the work to be done mm-hmm. you know because maybe you're someone who just needs to move from a notebook to a google doc and a pomodoro <laughs> extension in chrome so that you right. finally write the great american novel yeah and maybe you're someone who needs like quickbooks and a <laughs> trello integration and, yeah. ma- and maybe you're you know who knows i don't know who you are and what you do but but <laughs> ideally you know I think one of the ways that this goes wrong and gets really frustrated for people is that they try to make their work or their day conform to a tool. Yeah. And you know, it's like it's like in yoga, it's like the asana. It, it serves you, not the other way around. the The shape of the tool should fit the job that you have to do. And and yes. and to, to to tie both of these points together, I wouldn't be hesitant about refactoring when something doesn't work. Totally. So when you try something and you're like, "Ah, eh, this isn't quite for me," rather than just living with it and being like, "Well, it's an extra hour a day or it's an extra hour a week to deal with this annoying tool that I picked," just like take the time to try something else until you find something that works for you. Again, like that's not a waste of time. You're you're making yourself and your quality of life and your quality of work better. So yeah. so do that work but like think about what the job to be done is is it about communicating is it about organizing is it about deep work is it about you know is it about vendor management and like see you know see from there what takes up most of your day and start with that tooling and then and then build the rest of the stack based on the the work to be done.
1: I'm glad that you brought up the context point, too, because I I would say there's another piece of advice that I that I strongly recommend, which is you can go talk to people who are really, really doing well in your field. Yeah, about how they manage this stuff. And you will hear different flavors based on the industry, the context, the, the, you know, the individual, and that'll just give you more fodder. And I remember when I was first starting to write more, I went and spoke with guest and friend of the show Douglas Rushkoff and was like hey what what is your approach what is your workflow when Mm -hmm. you make a book and it wasn't you know it wasn't like sansama and kanban boards and shit it was like here's what I do every time I have an idea it goes on a note card and those note cards go on the wall and then supporting facts go on the back and then they get rearranged on the wall until there's an outline and then Mm -hmm. I pull them off one at a time and write the book and I was like that's a cool workflow. That's a
0: good system. You know,
1: like that's a neat, that's that's not the only way books get written, but that's Douglas's way and it's great. Yeah. And so just talking to three or four authors gave me a lot of fodder of like, these are the menu of options for people at the top of this game. Yeah. And then and then, if I want to innovate for my own personal needs or my own neuroses, like I can. Sure. But but at least I have something to benchmark off of.
0: Yeah, you don't have to start from Googling.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can start from is, DMing someone. On well, I would, I would argue all the best like, real deep cut industry productivity hacks are not even super googleable you think yeah i feel like this is the kind of weird shit that people kind of keep to themselves really yeah not not productivity nerds like there are definitely you can you can find a you know plenty of people talking about kanban or pomodoro method but i'm saying like the 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 top one percent of all doctors in the world how they like keep their lives organized is not like an Atlantic article. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's trapped in their heads, I think.
0: Maybe part of it is because no one knows how interesting this topic is.
1: Yeah. And now they do.
0: Now they do. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of like talking to someone and, and also to that end, like, I think when you talk to people who have figured some stuff out, it can really also be helpful in challenging your assumptions about the way it's supposed to be done. Yes. Like I remember um, when I read Slidology, like I had already worked in consulting and banking for 10 years. I thought that I knew the way to make a deck because someone had taught me the way to make a deck. It was really stupid the way that someone taught me. They taught you a way. They taught me (laughs) a way. They taught me the worst way um, that makes the worst decks, which is why PowerPoints everywhere are garbage. But like when I read that book, And it was like, you know, use Post-it notes, put them on a giant wall, cluster them by theme, figure out a story that overarches that, move those. I was like, oh, my God, this takes one one hundredth of the time. This thing basically writes itself once I do this. But I'm just saying that to say, like, when you find inspo out there, don't worry if it Feels like it runs counter to like what quote unquote best practices, is. Cause yeah. I think in a lot of workflow and productivity spaces, best practices is trash.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's the best practice is confused with normal practice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, because everybody does this. It must be the best. And I'll tell you something, pretty much by and large, my entire experience. If everybody's doing something, it's not the best. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the, the norm. At- it's the average, it's the status quo. The best is always on the edge. Yeah and, and so don't don't listen to everybody on that stuff. Yeah,
0: get edgy about it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the way that it's always been done not serving is like (laughs) everything that this entire show and our entire careers are about. And this is no exception. And the other point that I want to make about how this connects to like org design and disruption and shaking shit up is so, so often we say on this show and in the world and to Hmm. our spouses that you have to like start from where you are and start within your own locus of control. And where so much experimentation falls apart immediately in Teams is that it requires permission
1: or budget or sign-off <laughs> from someone else the
0: that's not in the room. And um, because, you know, matrixed complex systems. And, and a lot of times, like, it will seem really small for an individual in a team to be like the experiment. This just happened to me actually in a workshop. Mm. They, they did a set of experiments. Several of them failed for the reason that I just articulated. Even though in the workshopping of those experiments, we specifically talked about locus of control. Doesn't matter. They were like, yep. we got out of this room and it all okay. went to hell. And the second round of experiments they did, people proposed things like, and this was one that got consented to, a guy who was like, I take an hour on Friday afternoon to reflect on the week using these three prompts. Mm. And I find it really useful for a variety of reasons, which he shared, and my proposal to this team is that we create a calendar invite with those three prompts and we all do this reflection individually at the same time of the Mm -hmm. week. And if you don't want to do it at that time, you do it another time. The Mm. reflections don't have to be shared. No one has to do anything. But this is just something that we could all do. And that got consented to. And it's like really caught fire. So I'm saying this to say like, you never know if your small reflection practice on Friday afternoon over a gin and tonic is going to be the thing that sparks really significant change in a gigantic organization. But it might be. So, right. so maybe do it and see what happens.
1: Yeah, just dig in and and get started with your own stuff. And what better place to do that than with your own tasks? Because yes. it's so there. It's so at, at, at arm's reach, as opposed to so many of the other things we talk about on this show that are intersectional and collaborative and complex and just bleh. And this is like, you have a to-do list, just manage it differently. (laughs) Yeah. And is
0: anybody really going to tell you no? Does anybody even care enough to weigh in on that? Probably not. Do they even know what's
1: on your list? Probably Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, does anybody even know or care is a great place to wrap up. On a Friday, for sure. Let's put put a pin in it.
0: If you like what you're hearing, please, please, please leave us a review. We love them. We read them. We look forward to them. Or forward our show to someone who needs to get their lives together.
1: There you go. Tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin, as always, appreciate you. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us and all the people behind this show by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.